Now please join us for 30 seconds as we ground ourselves in silence. very room there's quite enough love for all the world and in this very room there's quite enough joy for all the world and there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit one spirit is in this very room in this very room in this very room and so I invite you to if you're so inclined become mindful of your breathing and as you breathe in and breathe out it is such a beautiful example of the giving and receiving of life and as we take a breath to realize and to affirm and to know that there's a, a power and a presence, a life that is perfect. That life is God's life. That is life is the goddess life. It is a principle. It is a vibration. It is an essence, both male and female, above, below, east, west, to my front, to my back, immersed in and through and as each and every one of us. And that life is my life, your life. And so I know in affirming that and declaring that and opening myself up and setting that intention that I'm more available to the divine wisdom and guidance, the creativity, the thriving, the abundance, the joy, the celebration, the physical transformation within my being that in any way, shape, or form is not expressing perfect harmony and strength, balance, and poise. Whatever may be, I know that I am not alone in this, that I partner in, with spirit in this moment. And I know that we are guided and directed in every good way. So as we come together this day in this sacred space and experience the vibration of the Most High, that sense of source, that sense of connection with a life that is larger than anything that we can imagine, that is unlimited in its supply of resources, that as we continues to develop that relationship I know my life and your life continues to be filled with wonders and awe beyond what we can even imagine and so I give thanks this day for music for eyes to see for a heart to feel 
for a consciousness that continues to be molded and transformed in beautiful and wonderful ways, in ways I invite, in ways that I perhaps cannot even imagine. But that is the activity that I agree to. And so I celebrate your spirituality, your divinity, your divine purpose and promise that you are living, opening up to that call, standing in the clarity and light and truth of this beautiful moment, of this beautiful essence of who and what we are. I just give thanks in great gratitude and appreciation for all that has been, all that is, and all that will be. I give thanks and invite you to say with me, and so it is. All right, so we have been talking about intentions all month. Well, I haven't been here a couple weekends. I wasn't here, but, and I know that several of you have told me that, so I appreciate that being reminded. Um, been using Wayne Dyer's book, The Power of Intention. And so we've been looking at this in the heart and soul of intention. And as I was preparing this week and doing reading, I realized, you know, I don't, I don't know a whole lot about Wayne Dyer. I mean, I'm... I'm I'm getting up here and talking about this guy's book, and, and I know, you know, I, I, a lot of his material has inspired my life, and I always look at him, and when I see him on PBS raising money, I always think, well, there's, he's doing church, he's doing what we, you know, he's, he's preaching what we preach, he's just doing it to millions of people. And so I found some information that I wanted to share with you that gives, because I think our stories and what brings us to the awareness that there's something bigger than just this life, this physical form, and when I hear it from others and I get, gain the insight, I go into that place of reflection and it, and it, it gives me a sense of connection. And, and it's like, yeah, you know, answering that call that all of us, I think, have, but in many ways or, or at, at times, we don't quite get the momentum going to maybe be in that high relationship with that divinity that so many of the great uh, spiritual teachers have taught over the years and continue to teach. I want to share you a bit of his story, and then I want to kind of tie together some of the principles that he talks about at the end. He calls it Dyer's Dozen, and I'll share with you that at the end. Uh, but he started, he was born in 1940, and he was uh, the youngest of three boys. So at a year and a half of age, he was born in Michigan. He was born to Mervyn Lyle Dyer, and his mother was Hazel Irene Dyer. Uh, youngest of three boys, at about the age of one and a half or two, he can't remember, and how many of us can remember at age two, he said that his father left. His father left his mother and never called. He never heard from his dad, ever. And so his whole life, and his two brothers were a bit older, and they remembered a little bit of dad, and they wanted nothing to do with dad. They were glad dad was gone which gives us an insight into maybe how dad was. Uh, dad was an alcoholic. Dad spent a lot of time in prison. And so throughout his growing up, until he was 10 years old because of the, the burden of a single mom with three kids at that time in the 40s, you know, of course, and in that period too, there was also the Second World War, he ended up in orphanages and with foster care. And, but through the whole thing he talks about, he always wondered about his dad. He always wondered, where's his dad? What's his dad doing? And why, how could his dad do this? How could somebody walk away from three boys and a woman and just disappear? And nobody heard from him. And it always bothered him. And he had that alive in him. And he said that, that it was always a question he had. So from the time he was a little boy until he was 34 years of age, 
he would have dreams about his dad. He would see his dad in his dreams. He would confront his dad. He would, he would t- speak of his frustration. He would ask the question. Sometimes he was fighting with his dad. He said sometimes it was the, such a horrific nightmare. He'd wake up and he would just be covered with, with sweat from the, uh, the dream that he'd have. And so at the age of 34, he'd gone into the military. He served in the Navy and he was teaching. He'd gotten his uh, education and he went and he was a professor at St. John's uh, University in New York. And so at 34 years old, he said um, his life wasn't working. He was overweight. He was drinking. uh, His relationships weren't working. He was unhappy there. um, And he was trying to write a book, and he just couldn't get the book together. So nothing, you know, he was just out of that. He could sense it, but he couldn't connect with it. And at that point in time, the, the government came to him because he was working in the psychological area and he was, he was quite prominent in terms of what he was, uh, some of the ideas he was expressing. The, the United States government came to him and said, we would like you to go to Columbus, uh, Columbus Mississippi, and there's a, there's a, a college there of, of black women that we'd like to make sure that the things that Lyndon Johnson had passed, part of the Kennedy legacy, Johnson came in and he passed a lot of things around civil rights and equal opportunity. And he said, we'd like you to go down there and see how these students are doing and write a report and check things out. So he was planning on on, uh, making this trip. This was in 1974. And a friend of his called and said, I just want to let you know that in 1964, your father passed away. And he thought, well, you know, any hope of getting together with him, it's not going to happen. But he found out that his father had died of cirrhosis of the liver from excessive drinking um, 10 years earlier in New Orleans. And he also found out that because it was an indigent uh, situation where he was penniless, he was, uh, the body was taken to Biloxi, Mississippi. And so he looked on the map when he was planning his trip, and he looked at Columbus, Mississippi, and he found Biloxi. And Biloxi is right down there on the coast. And he said, wow, it's only about 200 miles. So he said, you know, I'd like to go find my dad's grave. And so he went down to Columbus, Mississippi. He interviewed, and whatever the government asked him to do, he wrote up the reports, and on that Friday, he was done, and he went to rent a car at the Avis Rent-A-Car. He says, this was 1974, and in Columbus, Mississippi, he went in, and the car was brand new. No one had ever rented this car before. It had 0.6 miles on it. It was a blue Dodge Coronet. And he said he got into the car to, to drive to... Biloxi, and he looked down, and he was sort of a fanatic about seatbelts, and he found the seatbelt on the left, and he looked down to the right, and there was no place to to snap the seatbelt. And so he got out of the car, he said he lifted the seat up, and there was the seatbelt, because it was a new car. The other half was bolted to the floor, but it was wrapped up in plastic and a rubber band, and it was duct taped to the floorboard. And so he unwrapped it, and he did the whole thing. He put the seat back in. He, fe- he fed that buckle through the, you know, the crack in the seat there. And he got in, and as he was going to buckle it, uh, there was a card. There was a business card in the buckle that had never been used before. And he pulled it out, and it said, Candlelight in Biloxi, Mississippi. And it had a little map on the back of how to get to the Candlelight Inn. He thought, oh, okay. Now, keep in mind, he had spent 34 years searching for his father. And he talks about this as changing the trajectory of his life and what I would call his ministry as teaching. And so he put the card in his pocket and he started driving. And he got into Biloxi and he pulled into a gas station and he went to a payphone and he found the cemeteries because he wanted to find 
There were three cemeteries in Biloxi. And two of them had big ads, and one was just the one line in the phone book. So he called the first big ad, and, and there was no answer. Imagine that calling the cemetery, no answer at the cemetery. And the second one he called, busy. Busy, 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 busy. And so finally he called the third one. It was just was a plain line at the cemetery. And this guy answered. And he said, you know, I'm Wayne Dyer, and I'm trying to find my dad's grave. He passed away in 1964, and could you check your records and see if he might be buried there? And he said, the guy put the phone down, and he could hear him. And it was about 10 minutes, and he was going through, and it turns out because when he that the guy was going through an old uh, Coca-Cola box that they brought Coke in the, at that time. And that's how they kept the records. And he went through, he came back about 10 minutes later and said, yeah, I've got a record here of a, a Melvin Lyle Dyer. He died in 1964. He was shipped here from uh, um, New Orleans. And he said, uh, well, how late is, this, is your cemetery open? And he said, well, we're not really a cemetery. He said, when people die and they're sent to us, they are buried on the grounds at the Candlelight Inn. Oh. So, he said, really? He heads over there. He said he got there, and the guy, the guy uh, showed him where the grave was, and he said, look, I'm going home when you leave. Just hang that chain that goes across the front drive there over the fence and when you leave. And he says, okay, great. And he found his father's grave, and he said he spent three hours there. He got there about 5.15, and he spent three hours there. And he said the first three hours... He expressed his frustration, his anger, his resentment, asking the questions. He said, I was stamping my feet, and I was asking, how could you do this? How could you do it to three boys and this woman? You know, how, what, what, what's going on? And just all of the things that he'd been dreaming about and festering with and murking with over and over and over again. And he said at the end of the three hours, something came over him. Something came over him, and, and all of a sudden he realized that... What, was called, what he was called to do in this moment was just forgive him. And so he looked at, you know, the grave, and as he was standing there, he said, I want you to know that I forgive you. And he said, Mark Twain's quote on forgiveness kept coming to him, which was, Mark Twain said, forgiveness is the fragrance that the violet, the violet flower, the violet gives off to the, to, to the heel that crushes it. And he said that quote kept running through his awareness. Forgiveness is the, is the fragrance the violet gives off to the, gives to the heel that crushes it. And he said, he looked down at the grave and he said, you know, Dad, from now on, whenever I think of you, I'm going to think, I'm going to extend love. And it's such a poignant story about the power of forgiveness because forgiveness is, is never about endorsing what happened. But what he was doing as he stood before him, he had been bound to this man through his anger and frustration and resentment for 34 years, and he was freeing himself. It became a gift to himself. And that's why forgiveness is so important in our lives, because it frees our, our life force, our energy, for things that are more interesting and more life-giving. And yet many times we feel like we have to hang on to forgiveness because people don't deserve the forgiveness because of the horrible things they've done. And that has nothing to do with forgiveness. But what he was doing is he realizes that, that he had been festering in this for so long and to, and to forgive. So he said he, he finished up after three hours. He went and drove out and he put the chain over the, the gate. He went home and he took a two-week sabbatical. And he went to Florida and he wrote his book, The, Erone, the, Erogen, the Erroneous Zones, in two weeks. That life just started flowing through him. 
the awareness, the information, how to put things together. In two weeks, he wrote the book. Now, that book has sold 36 million copies. Two weeks, but he was ready. He'd done his work. He'd, done his, he'd prepared himself to be in more connection with, with the source of all life, which is what we talk about and celebrate here. You know, Dyer says in this book, you know, we, the, the challenge many people have with, with our approach to spirituality is that we will say, well, it's not about worshiping Christ as much as it is living a Christ-like life. It's not so much about worshiping Buddha as, as living from the Buddha nature. And so the subtleties of it, and, and, and for many people, that's just not, they're, they're not interested in that. It's much easier to be told what to do and just, you know, and then your, your reward will be down the road when in fact the reward is here and now. But his whole, his whole life changed as a result of that. He said he finished the book. When he finished the book, he quit drinking because he realized that he was, didn't want to perpetuate that legacy in his life anymore, something that his father had struggled with. He started to run every day. For 22 years, he wrote, ran eight miles every day to, to take care of himself. Um, the relationships he had in his life, he said the children that he longed for and dreamed about started to show up in his life because his relationships changed as a result of the work that he'd done. But he said, that was a pivotal moment in my life and it started to shape everything because when he started out, it was all the sort of psychological stuff, all the mental work, this, this second kingdom of consciousness that you've heard me talk about. And what he was doing through forgiveness work is he was moving into the third kingdom of consciousness. So when I read this book on intention, you know, we, we were talking about intention, spiritual practice, uh, and I picked it up and I was amazed because intention, you could really replace intention in this book with this idea of spirit or source. And because he's really talking about a, a way of being, a way of being in relationship with spirit. And so it, isn't it fascinating how a life that was so diminished, and you mean talk about abandonment issues, you know, talk about being uh, marginalized, talk about uh, addiction, talk about all of the things that went on in his life that, that helped shape what he now offers to the world. And so I wanted to just share with you to kind of wrap this up, but I thought, I think his story is so compelling and so amazing. I mean, can you imagine, where did that card come from? I mean, it's in the buckle of the, in the, of the buckle that's never been used. I don't know. I just get, I get God bumps just thinking about it. It's like, wow. But I would imagine if you spend 34 years looking for something and asking for something, it might show up. You know, I'm sure somebody physically put that card in there. But who was guided in that? You know, I mean, it just, it's like, how does this happen? A car that's got 0.6 miles on it? And he rents it, and he could have just said, no seatbelt, I'm going to drive. Nope, I'm putting a seatbelt on. I mean, all the synchronicities. I mean, what I know about that is when we ask, when we set an intention, when we're on a mission, and he was on a mission of revenge at that point in time, we're supported. You see, the law always works. You know, if we're going to go to war with someone, the, the, the law is available to us. But what will happen is through, through going to war with someone, the, the repercussions, all that fallout, the law of cause and effect shows up. And so it's not that going to war with someone is, I mean, I'm not going to judge it here because we've had plenty of wars on the planet, but there's other ways to do it. But you see how the law always responds? The law always says yes. The law always shows up in our lives, which is our consciousness, our belief system, how it pictures it. Wayne Dyer says, he's, he's teaching this in the middle of it. He says, if you think what I'm saying is a bunch of hooey, you're right. 
because it is done unto you and I as we believe. You know, when someone walks up to me, oh, you guys think you're God, you're crazy. You're right, because that's what you believe. It's so much easier than trying to talk them out of it. Just agree with them. Ah, you're right. Yeah. What am I going to do? You know, spend the rest of my life trying to convince them? You know, I've, I've got my hands full convincing me. I've been living by all that for so long, it's, it's foreign for me to say, wait a minute, someone doesn't like me for some reason. What's that all about? What's that all about? You know, we were, I had a, went to that retreat a couple weeks ago, and I went, met this wonderful minister. We were talking about how people think that, you know, when you, th- you think you don't, you don't say something to someone because it might offend them. And he looked at me, because we were having this conversation in one of the breaks, he said, then what you're telling me is you believe that you're offensive. I thought, wow. He said, yeah, a lot of people don't like me because I just tell them the truth out of love. But he said, if they get offended, and I'm not accepting that about myself because I'm not saying something out of uh, trying to offend somebody. And I thought, wow, this is getting pretty deep for me. I'm going to have to go talk to somebody that doesn't understand this in quite that depth. <laughs> so the first slide I want to share with you, if, uh, if we can pop it up there, is a quote by Buckminster Fuller, which I think is wonderful. It's called, he says, everyone is born a genius, but the process of living degeniuses us. Right? So, in fact, what Dyer says is accept the fact that you are a genius. If there's only one life, and that life is Spirit's life, and that life is God's life, and that life is perfect, that life is our life, you know? And as soon as Dyer put down what he was carrying, all of a sudden it opened up to another frequency. He raised his frequency of being. So, the first slide, they're in threes, there's 12 of them. Number one is want more for others than you want for yourself, which is really a challenge. But it's great practice. So, Because if we're all connected and I want prosperity for you, I'm supporting you in that. See, it takes us out of the competition. It takes us out of this comparison. Everyone to have the, the abundance and the prosperity, the health, the happiness, the joy, the creative expression in their life. I mean, that's, and then we're in collaboration energetically. But if we start comparing one another, oh, that's so-and-so. Paul got a, you know, he won $5 on the lottery and I didn't win $5 on the lottery. Mm. What does that do for me energetically? Did you win $5 on the lottery, by the way? Or did I just make that? Oh, good. So, see, I knew that. Number two, think from the end. See yourself, see yourself the way you want to be. See yourself addiction-free. Free of the addiction. Free of the resentment. Free of the anger. Free of whatever it may be. See yourself there. Give the infinite something more interesting. Gene Houston says, give God something juicy to work with. Number three, be an appreciator in life. Appreciation. What we appreciate appreciates. We add value to ourselves. Adding value to ourselves. Oh, my gosh. What wonderful thing can you appreciate about yourself today? It doesn't matter what it is. It's the feeling tone of the appreciation. Every year, if you've been around here a while, I love to plant flowers. And every year, I just, I love it. And part of it, when you're in California, flowers grow all the time. It's like, hey, flower, that's flower. They grow 12 months out of the year here. And it's here like May long weekend. Hallelujah. I can, wear one, I can wear one layer and go do something in the yard. This is fantastic. And so I'm planting the other day, and one of the neighbors comes over, and he goes, because when I moved in, he said to me, look, the guy that was here before you was a little bit too anal retentive about this yard, Okay. And so we want this standard to be lowered here because he's making every, you're making everybody else around here look bad. Oh, okay. I'll try and dummy down what I'm going to do. 
And so I'm planting, and he comes over, and he looks at all the, he's like shaking his head. He goes, you know, this only lasts three weeks. We only have three weeks of summer here, you know. And I said, well, maybe it's a little longer than that. But there's an aliveness about it that I love. You can tell when the flowers are happy. I've been doing this enough years. I said, that flower's happy. And you can tell when the other flower's not happy. It's like, well, and it's life. Because one of the neighbors, another neighbor came over and said, it's just beautiful. This is just, I love what you did with the yard. And I said, well, all I did was dig holes. God did all the other stuff. But truly, I mean, I'm, I'm not growing the flower. I thought about that in belief systems. I mean, I, belief systems and weeds are really amazing. Because dandelions, like dandelions, there's, there's no dandelion. The next day, there's a dandelion. They're amazing. And I know there are people here that love dandelions. And I love dandelions too. But I like dandelions to be where I think the dandelion should be. But so, so dandelions pop up, and they're like those really easy uh, uh, limiting ideas. They're just, they're all over the place. Now, crabgrass, which you don't have here, but if you go to Southern California and you buy a house, they got crabgrass, and most front yards in California are all crabgrass, and crabgrass is a deep, deep, serious weed. You can pull crabgrass up, and it'll go for 300 yards. You just, it's like a rope. You're just pulling it. You're following it down the na- around the neighbor's yard. And it's intense. That's like those real deep subconscious ideas, crabgrass. You could make clothes out of that crabgrass, I'm telling you. <laughs> it, is, it is strong and deep. Number four, stay in rapport with source energy. Whatever that practice is, if it's gardening, if it's walking, meditation, it's so important to stay connected to source because it's so easy to lose our way. Whatever the activities are, physical movement, Beautiful music, beauty of any sort. God looks like beauty, feels like joy. Number five, be aware of resistance. Every unkind thought, every non-creative thought, every uncertain thought, every judgment, every fear, every depression, every idea it can't happen is our resistance. It's our resistance. And the better we get at managing our resistance, oh yeah, that's just my fear popping up, rather than running with it. Powerful, powerful uh, form. As he says, if you think this is all nonsense, you're right, because it's what you believe. Believe it's all nonsense? It's nonsense. Number six, next slide. Contemplate yourself surrounded by the conditions that you want to create. What do you want to create? And surround yourself in your mind's eye with those conditions. Opportunity, creativity, opening myself up. But what can I put down? We're doing that sacred healing circle this afternoon. You know, Mary Baker Eddy, who founded... um, Christian science said uh, an error revealed is two-thirds healed. An error revealed is two-thirds healed. I love that. You pull it up into the light, you look at it, you dismantle your belief system around it, the, 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 the scaffolding we put up to support it. It's on its way out as soon as it comes into our awareness. So it's not about embodying more of it. We're, it's already alive in us. Understand the art of allowing. We're not in this alone. Like Dyer said, we open ourselves up. What wants to happen here? What wants to happen here? What is the highest idea? What is Spirit's highest idea of your life, my life? And the more that I can be open to that and connected with that source of all life, the clearer that frequency is of communication, that inner knowing. You know, I mean, here's Dyer paying attention, pulls the card out. Hmm, candlelight in. What's that all about? Well, that's where your dad is buried. Quite fascinating, isn't it? Maintain, number nine, maintain a constant state of gratitude. 
Gratitude, gratitude, it's so powerful. Gratitude is the feeling tone of, the, of spirit. Forgiveness and gratitude are the uh, third kingdom activities. And the more we can do that, the better off we are. And here he is talking about it. He wrote the book in 2004. Then the last slide, number 10, problems are never solved by condemning them. We have a problem and we start to complain, we start to compare, we want to condemn the problem. It never gets solved. Einstein said that. The level of consciousness that created the problem will not move us out of the problem. Number 11, play the match game. Are you matched up with the source of your being? Are the ideas that you're dwelling upon creating greater life and uh, greater aliveness in, in you or not? And you know, and, and to have the practices, that's why we get together for spiritual practice. The prayer work and the meditation and the mindfulness to catch ourselves. If it's music that, that pulls you out of that, immerse yourself in that kind of music. But give yourself an opportunity each day to lighten that load and lift that. And number 12 is meditation. To have a, 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 med- a form of meditation. Meditation is the, the theme we're doing next month. But meditation is so important to, pull, to give ourselves a space to just be. Just the place to be. Yesterday, uh, I was looking on the internet a couple days ago. As a matter of fact, I, I don't know if people have seen it. I know a number of people here don't uh, read papers and, and do a lot of news. And, uh, and I honor that practice. But it came across my awareness that a young man, um, Elliot Rogers in uh, Santa Barbara, went, on a, went into a rage, 22 years old, went into a rage, killed seven people. And one of the reasons it was uh, so, because uh, my daughter called, because my, my children live about a mile from where this took place. And so my daughter called to say, we're good, but you know, she was still shook up from uh, the whole thing. Because there's a lot of energy around that. Because there's, you know, there's, there's times you know, people say to me, you know, once a year do you sit down and decide, you know, Gee, should I keep doing ministry? I said, once a year? About three times a day I ask myself that. <laughs> once a year? And so I'm, I'm, yesterday, I'm getting ready for this because I got nothing. I'm like, yes, Saturday afternoon, I'm like, God, what are we doing tomorrow? Because, man, I need some help here. <laughs> and it's, it's amazing because all of a sudden, the idea of the download, and all of a sudden, I found this information about Dyer's story. But in that, I thought, so here's a young man. He felt marginalized. He went into uh, what I call cynicism, which is, is, if I can't have it, nobody can. And it's... We see it so many times on the planet. We see it individually. We see it, people just feel like they're lost. They don't feel connected to anything. And what are we being called to in this? What is this? So for me, when I look at that and I see that experience, it cracks me open. It saddens me. I'm just so frustrated. This, this people, how do we get to that point? And yet I realize, it's just, what I do is I turn around and then I can pour myself back into spiritual practice. We don't realize what a difference we make in one another's life by being a light. By, Jesus said you were the light of the world. There's, an art, there's a page in here on page 106 that, that Dyer uh, talks about David Hawkins' work and how people are lifted up. One person, one person lifting up. There's five or six of them here. I'm going to read you one. One individual who lives and vibrates the energy of optimism and a willingness to be non-judgmental of others will counterbalance the negativity of 90,000 people. This is the work of uh, David Hawkins. So, and you can say, well, yeah, I can't prove that. And I'll tell you what, I can choose to believe it. And what we believe, it's done, it's done unto us as we believe. And it goes on and on. 
He talks about what, what the, the sages that have walked this planet have done. People like Jesus of Nazareth and the Buddha. And they impact the negativity of 70 million. So when we do this work, when we want to lift one another up, when we do our spiritual practice and we show up in kindness and in love, it affects everything. It's a wave. And, I, and for me, I just know in my heart of hearts it's true. And so I'm inspired by Wayne Dyer's story. I'm inspired by the practices he says use because I see many of the practices we talk about many times there. They're tried and true and they work. And so when we do that, when we put down the resentment, when we put down whatever's going on, it opens us up to a larger vibration and everyone is blessed. It's a contagion of good. So it's exciting. Laura and I watched a movie yesterday called Sergio. I don't know if you've seen it. It's on Netflix and it's the story of Sergio DeMillo. And he worked for the United Nations. And this amazing man, he was born in, in um, Brazil and lived all over the world. His parents were diplomats. An amazing man. He was a second in command at the United Nations. And it's a story of how he would go into war-torn countries. He went into Cambodia and he traveled for miles and miles and miles into the desert to meet with the Khmer Rouge, the ones that were annihilating thousands of, hundreds of thousands of people. Horrific. And the, his friends kept saying, you can't go talk to these people. They're war criminals. They're, they're the worst of the worst. And he said, no, we go talk to them. And he went in and they showed him and he put himself in harm's way and he went in and he talked and he met with them and had a discussion and reached a truce and reached a way to stop this, this crazy violence because he was so committed to it. He had a vision of possibility. And, I, and it speaks volumes to what one person can do. It was a, the, the documentary is called Sergio, the man who thought, the one man who tried to change the world. And I don't want to give up the story, but it's, it's amazing. Amazing. And, and we have that opportunity as metaphysicians, as people that don't just buy into the status quo that it's never going to get any better and go into the cynicism and then act out our lives from that. And that's, that's a choice. It's just such a small, diminishing choice. We're not here to do that. We're here to lift one another up. We're here to lift ourselves up. And to be a contagion so that when we show up in love and in the, in the, in the beauty and the, and the knowing of who we are and whose we are, which is God in individualized, this, this dynamic female and male expression of life, this principle of good, it affects everyone. That the world is a better place because we're walking in partnership with spirit, with co-creation, with the divine. So it's a beautiful thing. So I thought about this. We're taking, making intentions. Set an intention. So my declaration here for every member of this community and every person who listens on our podcast and is involved with it, to set an intention that each person to take a stand to thrive in our lives, to have unbounded health, unbounded and wonderful creative expression, to have the opportunities for success and joy, the opportunities that call to our heart, the, the prosperity that allows us to have opportunities in our lives to be generous, to support the causes that we, we agree with, to be a beacon of light and intelligence and wisdom in this ever-evolving divine nature of spirit upon this planet. So is anybody interested in taking that vow with me or am I alone in this? Okay, good. Because if you don't put your, if, if, you, if you don't say no, you can see me afterwards and I'll take you off the list. Otherwise, you're in, okay? <laughs> so what I'm going to invite you to do right now, we have these cards that you've all been given. This is our first iteration. What we want to be able to do is honor our intentional givers because we have an amazing group of intentional givers here that really keep us going. 
They, they convey their, pay, their, their offering uh, each month, not so you'll be sitting next to people that aren't putting money in the basket, and you're thinking, hey, they're not putting any money in, I'm not going to put any money in. And what you don't know many times is they've already conveyed their gift to us. We've been doing this promotion for Intentional Giving Light, and then uh, as folks that travel during the summer aren't going to be with us. And to date, I'm, I'm quite surprised to let you know there's not one person that has signed up for it. And what I've always said about this is, look, we're going to be here. And when we, we want to be here when you get back. So if you're going to be traveling and you'd like to support us while you're traveling, then that would work for you. We invite you to enroll in that program. But it, neither here nor there, good nor bad, but I just want to let you know what's happening. This is our prosperity affirmation. And as we go into our offering today, I'd like to re- read this together. Would you be willing to do that with me? This is also going to be a form of, of this card for our intentional givers. They'll pick it up when you come in and grab one, and then you have something you can convey into the basket and affirm this. And if you like this, take it home with you. We'll make more. So it reads as follows. Divine abundance is forever manifesting in my affairs. Today, I expect every good thing to come to me, for I know that divine abundance is forever manifesting itself in my affairs. I am keeping my whole mind and thought and expectation open to new experiences, to happier events, to a more complete self-expression. Everything that belongs to spirit, I accept. Everything that partakes of the nature of divine reality, I claim as my own. I identify with success and I prosper in everything I do. As I give thanks for the good now flowing into my life, I gladly share the good with others. The more I give, the more I receive. I experience a deeper consciousness of peace and security, for I know that I am in the embrace of a warm, loving presence, forever seeking an outlet through me. My cup runneth over, I exist in limitless possibility. And so it is, as our ushers come forward.